0: Welcome to Aker Interview, I'm Mike and your host. In this episode we chat with Alf Ingus Thor on the Saab 32 Lansen and AJ37 Viggen. Talks about his training, operational squadrons and includes some great stories from both types. I also want to thank our sponsor Laco Watchers who were one of the original companies to produce pilot watches for the Luftwaffe during World War II. They produce both A and B dial watches in different sizes to suit all tastes, which adopt the look of times gone by but still satisfied modern demands. You can check out all their models and products via www.laco.d. Thank you. So, Alf, when did you first become interested in aviation?
1: Well, I am born uh, 30K from one of the main fighter's Wings in Sweden here in Malmslet, the place where we are right now. And I had Swedish Air Force aircraft, especially the G219 uh, barrel over my head all the time. So I was like a chicken, followed my mother. That means I was following those barrels into the Air Force. And I can't remember how old I was, but say four or five years. And
0: so what year did you join the Air Force?
1: 1960. Seven As a student pilot, mm-hmm. but I joined the Air Force 1963 as a what you call it, an uh, air cadet. Mm-hmm. And uh, also during two summer seasons on different uh, air wings. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and also I started with support from the Air Force flying gliders in 1965 mm-hmm. here in Linzheping. Okay. And at that time, the Air Force supported young guys with 50% of the cost if you start to fly gliding to make them interest to go to the Air Force. Mm -hmm.
0: So let's talk about some of the basic aircraft you started training on. What were they and what would they like to fly?
1: Uh, I flew the Saab Safir sk 50 sk 50 which as the first one, Mm -hmm. it's a nice one and actually I have one of my own still. And you start to fly that one down at the Air Force Academy, Jungbeheed. Jungbeheed was around since 1926 up to still going on. Mm -hmm. And um, you fly the prop machine for about uh, 40, 50 hours. Then you convert it to SK-60, Saw 105 Mm -hmm. And after one year of flight training, you took your exam. Mm -hmm. Before that, you had to go to uh, like Put like a, a school to, if you don't have a exam from the, let's say, high school, you had to learn more about mathematics and such things. So you mm-hmm. went to a special pre-flight school for one and a half to two years. Mm-hmm.
0: So what was your first aircraft you went on to after your training?
1: My first aircraft was... Uh, Sub 32 Lansen mm-hmm. at the F 17 wing down in the southern east of Sweden, Ronneby. Mm-hmm. And from the beginning, I was uh, planned to go to the Dragon, but I wanted to go to the Lansen. And I made an exchange with one of the guys who were told to go to the Lansen, and he wanted to go to the Dragon, and vice versa. So we made an exchange there.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's talk about your first thoughts on the Lansen. What, what did you feel?
1: Uh, if you're coming from Saab 105, which are quite low, it's like sitting with your bottom in the air surface, like, like so to speak. And if you go to Lansen, it's huge, it's high, it's a long nose in front of you, and it's uh, not side by side, it's uh, a tandem. And also an, another generation. Saab 105 is a generation from 60s to 70s, you can say. Mm-hmm. Lansen is the uh, early Mm fifties. It uh, affects the instruments, the sticks and everything, how to handle it. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, like going backwards (laughs) in that respect, but also it was very, very fascinating to Mm -hmm. that huge aircraft. And we flew three to four hours in duel. Then we went on solo. Mm
0: Let's talk about the actual aircraft. What was it actually designed for for the
1: Swedish Air Force? Lansen was designed as a ground attack fighter. It was made for wearing bombs, rockets or missiles to hit uh, especially boats, invasion boats coming from the east and uh, also uh, forces on the ground and all supplies. So we have different types of uh, operation profiles. Four aircraft, eight aircraft on uh, bombs, heavy bombs up to 600 kilos, 500 kilos and rockets and also those missiles and uh, also day and night. So we flew those targets, made those missions with we- weapons in, let's say, all type of weather, mm-hmm. day and night. And uh, the aircraft was uh, two seater We had a navigator in the back seat. Okay. uh, with a radar.
0: It looks very small from this uh, air. Yeah, it's a
1: little bit uh, tiny, but it's worked quite well. So as a pilot, you were on the the steering machine, so to speak. Mm -hmm. The navigator made all the work. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Let's talk about some of your ground training. What was it like coming from those trainer aircraft to uh, frontline aircraft?
1: When you started to fly the Lancer, you went straight on to a a sharp uh, squadron, which were converted to a, a... let's say, learn new students to fly for a couple of months before you, you're the real training for combat. And so you went into a society which are quite another by uh, what you're using at the Flying Academy where you were a student and a lot of teachers. Here you became a very nice part of a, you know, a gang and uh, everybody was uh, keen to learn to fly and the military stuff, by saluting and such thing, is not that very important. Therefore, it's important is what you do and how you're working with other together. Mm-hmm. The social life is important, but also the demands. You have to prove quite early that you can manage those aircrafts. Mm-hmm. You don't have too many hours mm-hmm. to, to try. If you're failing, you're out. Yeah. So it's uh, you had the pressure on you, especially during the time of the flight school. Mm-hmm. When I. Uh, came to the flight school in 1967, I believe we were about 80, 83 students, and we were 21, who we wow. took exam later on, mm-hmm. so it was a big dropout.
0: Yeah. So can you remember your first flight in the Lansen?
1: My first flight in Lansen was with my instructor, a guy called Stig Benjaminsson, very nice guy, and uh, uh, I remember to texting out, you were feeling like sitting on a big horse or something, and the taxiway seems very uh, tiny, very small. And you took off with a reheater. The reheater in London is not that very uh, effective, but you could at least you could feel it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then come up in the air with other speeds than what you're used to and other, you're also flying with hydraulic rudders and sticks, and uh, this is not what you're used to mm-hmm. from the Flying school and all those instruments which are you have to look everywhere and so on. And also the landing, which is quite different. It's not like today, so you just take the gear out and touch down. Here you had the maneuvering, the stabilator, the flaps, the bear brakes in different positions. It takes about one minute from you decide to make yourself clear for landing to everything is out and working and such. You don't thing. think
0: so that like compared to modern day aircraft? Yes. Gears down now, yeah, isn't it? Yeah,
1: exactly. So it's, it's a very lot of things to do. Mm-hmm. But after you made the first landing and found out, okay, that was okay. Yeah. Okay, the aircraft was alive, and I was alive, the mm-hmm. instructor was out of the hospital in a couple of days. So, mm-hmm. Well, just joking. But, <laughs> but uh, then we had another flight uh, with the instructor for, uh, for only touch and go, and uh, some flights for man- man- maneuvering through to stall and uh, low speed and such. Yeah. And then we went solo. The first solo was an, uh uh, navigation trip around the southern part of Sweden on uh, one three thousand feet or something. That must have been pretty special. Yeah, you felt I was only just had been twenty years old, so it <laughs> <it's> amazing. <laughs> Quite,
0: yeah. So can you talk us through some of your actual training on the aircraft for the squadron you were on? What kind of role were you uh, as a pilot?
1: Well, the, after you have done your your combat training and became efficient enough to be in the in the Uh, Squadron as a full pilot. We always are a wingman. We operate in four or eight, that means number one was a squadron leader, number three was a group uh, chief, number five was another group chief, and number seven was another group. Number two, four, six, eight was wingman. And as uh, the first Two years, you only stick to your wingman. You put your teeth in his uh, wingtip and don't leave him, so to speak. <laughs> so uh, every time you fly without a wingman in front of you, you feel a little bit afraid. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? <laughs> <laughs> so when, after one or two years, you expand to be a, a chief for the pair, mm-hmm. and you come in new students, which you will have behind you. So you are Accelerating up in the in the hierarchy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But it takes quite many years before you are allowed to be a, a group chief. Mm-hmm. Group chief, I mean chief of four aircrafts yeah, at your own. Big
0: responsibility on the sure. yeah, yeah. So let's talk about its handling characteristics. What was the strength and weakness of that, the aircraft?
1: The strength was it could take the load that was expected, it could uh, endurance. On one and a half hour or something mm-hmm. and it was uh, the strength was that you had a navigator at the time uh, the weakness was uh, it was not supersonic you could fly supersonic and we did it a couple of times during the initial training mm-hmm. that means you you climbed up to 36 38 000 feet mm-hmm. you make a half roll split this, put you down, straight down, fully afterburner, straight down and after a while you can feel the stick starting to live its own life, you're trying to keep it still and after a while you saw in the back mirror a little uh, notch there which uh, contained, ah, now you're supersonic, you can see one 0.01, Point zero one. then you take brakes out, uh, take off the engine and you pull as much as you can and you level out on five, six thousand meters, fifteen thousand feet or something.
0: It's strange because you always think an aircraft with an afterburner will be able to go supersonic in a straight line, no. but I think uh, that was the first no, no. all.
1: I mean the, if you go to another version of Lansen which I flew much, much later, the fighter version, the fighter version of Lansen had the same engine as the dragon. Mm. And uh, they could go a little bit faster, even if the engine was much stronger. Mm -hmm. But it's not the engine, it's the aerodynamic, Mm -hmm. which puts a limit for it. So every time you come above 0.92, it started to... Put the nose down, mm. and it was a little bit of riding a horse that wants to go back to the stable all the time. So, as soon as it got down to zero mm-hmm. below 0.92, it was quite easy to fly. But, mm-hmm. but the, with the attack lancer, you never very seldom exceeded one thousand kph, per hour, that means 0.9. Normally, with load, we had a speed of 0.78, 0.8 with reheater.
0: And what kind of weapons would it carry at this point when you were flying
1: it? We had bombs from 120 kilograms up to 500 and 600 and 250 kilograms. We have rockets, different uh, uh, powered with different type of things uh, from 13.5 centimeters up to 18 centimeters. We have guns, four guns, 20 millimeters. And we have uh, robot 04, a four, Swedish-built sea robot, which were launched about 30 Ks away in low level. Then it floats itself to the target. It was very, very strong one. And that one, specific robot zero four, was also developed for the Viggen later on
0: mm-hmm.
1: in a new version.
0: So, would you say it was a capable aircraft at this time to do its role yeah. It intended?
1: Yeah, it, it did its work. <laughs> it did its work. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And let's t- talk a bit about the cockpit. Was it cramped in there? Because from looking, as we
1: said, it looks pretty tight in there. Was it? Well, it's a quite uh, room. It's uh, you can have flowers and water them on the side. It's very big, like this, but uh, it's it's not very very. Uh, it's not narrow, so to speak. Mm-hmm. If you go to a Dragon, it's much more narrow. Oh, yes. The is. back seat is a little bit more yeah. uh, narrow, but otherwise you're quite comfortable in it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And you have two, two ejection seats, yes. of course.
0: Oh, you needed them probably, yes.
1: Yeah, I used it once. So.
0: Yes, yeah, so we're going to get onto that. So, but uh, you also did some display work. Um, can you tell us about this?
1: About my display flying. Yeah, nice. Well, I started to fly displays nineteen eighty one with the prop machines, and also little, 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 little bit with the uh, the vegan. but mostly with Lansen was from ni- from two thousand and one, and that was a fighter version, and the fighter version was at that time out of service, It's only operated as a uh, vintage aircraft. Okay. So I flew uh, from two thousand one to two thousand thirteen. Uh, about uh, 8 to 10 shows per year and as I said before it's quite different between the attack lance and the fighter lance because the engine is so much powered. It's very nice aircraft to fly, it's easy to fly and um, everybody say every aircraft is a pilot's aircraft and well it 's easy to fly even if it had its disadvantage in some kind, so display flying has been part of my life in the Air force in one thousand nine hundred and eighty one up, mm-hmm. up to i up to two thousand and thirteen as a military pilot mm-hmm.
0: so we're going I was going to ask you a memorable story, but so we 're going to talk about your ejection let 's yeah. talk about that story and can you share it with our viewers
1: well um, it was a Monday we should go out with four uh, Lansen on a mission from Runaby out in the Baltic Sea, about a m- couple of minutes, 30 minutes or something, then back in for flying some uh, rockets on our target. After takeoff, in uh, let's say about five, six minutes, we were on low level, about uh, 100 feet or something. I just felt that my engine stopped and I was hanging in my, in my straps and my pulse went from 80-90 up to 290, I don't know. Uh, My first reaction was to climb to gain height because you need height if you have to uh, um, get from this aircraft and I started to make some proceeding to uh, uh, relight engine which failed and when I come on top of my uh, track which was about 700 meters speed was down to 400 km per hour, which is, it's initially been 600 km per hour. And 400 case is uh, a recommended speed to eject, and nothing happened with the engine. And now I started to descend down to the sea again. Okay. I des- decided to, okay, that's it. So I I decided to eject, and I told that on the radio. And one of the guys was just 100 meters to the right of me. When I decided to um, eject. I took my left hand to the handle for ejecting the canopy, which you had to do in this aircraft. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And uh, I turned the handle down and nothing happened. I was staring down at my hand when I was looking at the little uh, uh, lamp which are used for lighting up your map during night. And this one is situated very close, so I dropped that lamp, and took the right handle, ejected the canopy, and then I ejected out of the aircraft. And a big bang, and I saw myself, my feet up in the, against the blue, and a lot of paper around me, which came from my, my uh, knee blocks. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, some kind of uh, a little shock, I was hanging the aircraft in the parachute. And I saw my aircraft nice and gently diving into the sea. And then I landed in the sea and I was picked up after about um, 30 minutes by helicopter.
0: Make sure you head over to www.laco.de to check out all their watch models and products and also read up about the history of their awesome original pilot watch. Thank you. Then you got posted to the Wiggen. How did this happen?
1: Well, we uh, uh, were planned at my wing, which at the time was F6 wing in Karlsborg, to be the last uh, squadron who flew Lansen. And in late, early 1978, we were converted to Wiggen. After six weeks of theoretical work, technical education, uh, we had two flights in the two-seater with instructor. And they they came from F-15, where they normally trained the, uh, originally coming direct from the flight school students. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But they seemed us so experienced, so we got two sorties, uh, a little bit more than one hour in the weekend. Then they went home with Mm two-seater, and then we had eight one-seaters out on the grid. Okay guys, let's see what we can do. Then we start to flying. Of course, we had instructors uh, together yeah. for the first six months.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the big difference, that was the speed and the acceleration.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, after takeoff, if you go with full afterburner, three steps afterburner, f- from that you release the brakes until uh, passing 33,000 feet it's about one minute 30 seconds, one minute 40 seconds.
2: Wow.
1: It's the same as uh, if you're going you a know, Boeing 737. Yeah. When you're taking the landing gear with a Boeing 37, mm-hmm. you are on the 33,000 3,000 feet,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and also the acceleration—it's enormous.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I spent almost 2,000 hours in the wigan mm-hmm. and uh, I could never get used to the fantastic acceleration. Mm-hmm. It was so amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how do the aircraft handle?
1: Uh, from the beginning it was a little bit difficult because it a delta wing. Mm-hmm. Every time you turned it sounds like you were having a stall warning and it's because it's a little bit shaking.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, also the stick which your steering stick, it's, it's a handbrake. Mm-hmm. Every time you turn and you take load, it's, uh, the speed disappears. So you have to have a lot of reheat, a lot of uh, afterburner on mm-hmm. to uh, keep the speed when you're turning mm-hmm. a lot. But it turned quite well, mm-hmm. and it was uh, quite easy to to fly, especially during takeoff and landing, comparing to Lanzer. Mm-hmm. To just turn the uh, handle gear down and everything was fit. Mm-hmm. Flaps everything comes out automatically. Mm-hmm. And you also have a reversal modification or uh, installation at Begin, mm-hmm. which you can pre set in the air mm-hmm. and after you're touching down you just put down the nose wheel mm-hmm. and put full power and you will stop in four or five hundred meters 1500 feet or something
0: so did you ever do one of them you know you see them landing on the motorways or they, yeah 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 well, what was that like
1: uh it's what like i wouldn't say it to compare it to a landing on a air carrier because that was a little bit to exaggerate but uh for the first time when you're landing on that strip 800 meters with forest on both sides. It feels very, very tiny, mm-hmm. and you're coming down with 260 to eighty kts, let's say 130 to forty knots, and touching down and down wheel, nose wheel down, and full power, and you're shaking and everything and trying to be steady. It's a bit amazing. Then you get used to it. But we didn't make so many uh, landing out in the forest. I think I'd done. Uh, at the most 50 or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I also was one of the pilots who were uh, in the test for can we do this in dark? Mm -hmm. And uh, myself and two other guys were down in Småland on a strip like this and tried first in dawn and then in uh, dark and but we couldn't uh, we, we made it but it was too difficult and the problem wasn't to touch down the problem was when you put down the nose wheel the nose digs down and you only see a spot of light a couple of few meters around you mm-hmm. but you lost all of feeling what we were doing away yeah so one of the guys he was uh, uh, sliding from left to right a couple of times and then he decided okay we skip it during night
0: mm-hmm, right, yeah. So, So it was like getting used to the uh, reverse thrust. I mean, coming from Lanson.
1: It was very nice because it was never afraid of uh, icy runways or something. And also, if you took the wrong way on a taxiway, you can uh, back forward, backwards and such thing. But normally, it uh, was used uh, not every day. Mm-hmm. It was used for training, it was used for short runways. And also, when you don't use to heat the rail, just put out the uh, handle for reversing, just close the gaps and... Uh, Instead of using normal brakes. So it's, um,
0: and what models did you fly? I flew
1: the the ATTACK AGA, the SH, and the SF. Mm-hmm. I did not, never fly the fighter version.
0: And did you ever conduct any DACT?
1: Of course. I mean, the, the name AGA stands for attack and yacht, uh, attack and fight. Mm-hmm. So. Our role as a fighter pilot was to defend ourselves but also help to uh, go for uh, other bombers from um, in a war situation and but not uh, uh, fighter to fighter but we also trained that a lot so mm-hmm. we were let 's say we were uh, second hands fighter pilots mm-hmm. from uh, being not nothing of that part. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't compare us to the the guys who flew the the fighters. Mm -hmm. But we were quite good at at it sometimes, I think. (laughs) And we trained it quite a lot. So we did that.
0: Did you ever work on any large exercises with other nations?
1: We had uh, at that time, during the 80s and 90s, a big exercise called Focus every year. And then we had also the Air Force uh, exercise every year. So we had... 2 or 3 every year that we were from our originally wings we flew out aircraft to other uh, uh, other airfields mm-hmm. around, around sweden with uh, four aircraft on each uh, airfield mm-hmm. and uh, they were quite long taxiway to taxi for miles to hide your aircraft mm-hmm. we spread them out so to speak
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then we have, when we started, we had to join everybody to get in some certain points to be a big rope before we made our attack or mm-hmm. our, our mission. Mm-hmm. Then back to maybe not the, maybe the same base, mm-hmm. maybe went down for a quick re, re, refill of fuel mm-hmm. with the engine running and then we went back to our original base. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can start from one base, land on another, and start from that one, land on another, and then yeah. third time you are back to the original mm-hmm. base, depending on what the purpose was. Mm-hmm. And one thing which is very common with Swedish aircraft is that they are very easy to turn around. Yes. From you come down with a vegan until it's fully loaded, fully equipped with fuel and everything, it's less than 10, 15 minutes
2: wow.
1: made by conscripts.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If you take native the Americans, it takes them hours.
0: Yeah. I think they, uh, yeah, the Swedes are definitely good at that. Uh,
1: but on the other hand, the Americans, they just put up another aircraft in <laughs> stance. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So what kind of weapons would you carry?
1: We had uh, uh, originally rockets, 13.5. We have uh, bombs, 120 kilograms, and missiles, robots 4 Robot 17, which are sea uh, missiles and uh, made for sea work. And we had uh, a Swedish uh, robot called uh, Robot 05. And that missile, you launch it and you steer it with a little handle mm-hmm. until you hit and you had to mm-hmm. turn away. Mm-hmm. And then we also had Maverick. Ah,
0: yes. Yeah.
1: And uh, it became the Maverick mm-hmm. uh, after a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, do you have any memorable stories? Uh, for Sidewinder, we had also. Sidewinder, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah.
0: So, do you have any memorable stories from flying the, uh, the Viggen?
1: Uh, I, I can tell you one, one story which is a little bit uh, shame to say, but uh, it's also a little bit interesting, maybe. It's many years ago. We had had an exercise up in the north. We've been flying for the whole day and been flying two or three missions during night. It was very good weather. And we landed about four o'clock in the morning. And uh, we were told to go to bed and have some uh, rest. But they decided to cut the exercise. So everybody go home to their home base and they asked, can you fly, you, you guys, can you fly your aircraft back home? It's only 30 minutes, uh, 8, 750 km or something, down to F6 Carlsborg. And I so, okay, we can do that. And uh, uh, in the in sequence the sequences the aircraft was ready, pilots took their aircraft they asked up to 30,000 30, feet and went down to Karlsborg. And when my airplane was ready, I stepped into it, took off, climbed to 33,000, took my course to Karlsborg, turned on the uh, autopilot and fell asleep. Oh no. And... Uh, after a while I heard someone calling, uh, Fox 35, Fox 35, do you read. And I was thinking, "Well, the hell is Fox 35, but it's not a bitch answer on the radio. Fox 35. Then I wake up, Fox 35, that's me. Okay, <clears throat> Fox 35, do you read. Uh, sorry, I had some mis- uh, problem with the radio. Sorry about that. <laughs> then I was very, very much awake. I had slept for about 10 to 12 minutes.
0: That's a long time. Yeah,
1: it's a long time.
0: Oh, wow. So how many hours did you get on the Vigin, and did you enjoy flying it?
1: I have the almost 2,000 hours, almost amount. exact 2,000 hours.
0: Brilliant.
1: I started to fly in 1978 and I'm, my last flight was in 2002, I believe. 2002. And uh, after I became a psychologist, which I was uh, offered to do in 1989, I still flew it up till 2003. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, certainly one of my favourite aircraft, so I'm very jealous of you for flying it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you also briefly tell us you also flew uh, helicopters for some while. Yes, 90,
1: well, as a aviation psychologist, I had uh, the um, the opportunity to be a, a psychologist. The reason was that the air force thought it was okay. We have doctors who can fly, but we have no uh, psychologists that can fly. So they, I was a test. The first one, <laughs> who went to the university, became a licensed psychologist. I went to university in Lund for five, five years, then I worked at a hospital, but I was still flying all the time. Yeah. And uh, one of the first customers I got, that was helicopter pilots, which were some kind of uh, neurotic uh, stress and such thing. So they said, OK, uh, do you like to start to fly a helicopter? Then you know more about it, of course. So I was trained for helicopter pilot. Then I flew simultaneously aircrafts in the Air Force and and in the Army, which later became the Air Force. I I flew the B 105. Mm -hmm the Yet Ranger and the Jukes 300 mm-hmm. for about around 1,000 hours or something. Maybe. And that was amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, flying around with uh, Mach 0.9, low level, that is very nice, but flying helicopter, you can land everywhere and that's something. Mm-hmm. I sort a new Sweden up from the up after all this year, but I saw quite new Sweden <laughs> from the helicopter.
0: So, yeah. if you have any hobbies,
1: Well, uh, my hobby is more or less some kind of uh, flight history. I'm writing books together with another guy, Gerard Jakobsson, about the Swedish uh, flight safety history. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I also fly uh, aerobatics together with some other old pilots every summer. Mm -hmm. Then I have a family, three children, six uh, grandchildren. Two cats and a dog, so it's... Uh, life. <laughs> it's life. alive life, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, favourite aircraft you've ever flown?
1: The one I'm sitting in at the moment, I used to say, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say uh, the Piper Super Cub. Wow, okay. I love that. Sob Saphir. And, of course, I'd say Wigan as well.
0: Yes, of course. One you wish you could have flown that you haven't?
1: Uh, I would have like to have flown the, the, the Dragon, actually. Okay, yeah. I only had a couple of uh, flights in the back seat you it. Know, mm-hmm.
0: So how many hours altogether do you have and did you enjoy your time in the
2: Air Force?
1: In the Air Force, total hours is uh, 11,300 something. Mm-hmm. In the Air Force, a little bit, about eight 8,050 or something. Mm-hmm. That contains helicopter and, uh, and fighters and uh, trainings. Mm-hmm. I was a couple of years as an instructor at the flight academy mm-hmm. as well. So I'm very happy to have be been flying so much.
0: So Alf, thanks very much for being on the show.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you.